real love, in order to have true love, we need to silence those hateful responses. And if we can just do that, then love will reign. We also see that from their response that equity and fairness are actually required in order for love to thrive. That love is actually easily overcome by things like racism and hate speech and these kind of things. And so we need to you know, make sure that we, we get everything equal and fair, and then we can have love. We see also from their response to hate that love can only be enjoyed when, when there, there is no, no more hate. hate. That love needs, needs to be protected and guarded against hate. Because if we don't, hate's going to win. Hate's going to take over. Actually, we see that this view of love is actually very, very weak. If we look at love from the way that the world is looking at love, then we would think that love is actually pretty fragile. Like that, this is kind of pretty sensitive. Like, you know, we got to kind of put it behind, you know, a glass and fencing and make sure that we protect it because, oh my gosh, love can easily be destroyed. Not only do we understand what the world's perspective of love is by the way that they respond to hate, but we can also figure it out through the way they talk about love. And we find that actually in our world, we have a very humanistic perspective of love. And humanistic simply means that hum humans, first of all, are the highest authority. So the, the, you know, the individual is the one who gets to define what love is. The individual is the one who gets to decide what is loving and what is not loving. And so anyone who would to, to step in and try to define love for me, that's not loving. I, I get to decide what love is. I get to decide how you are to love me or how I'm going to love you. Love is defined by the individual in a humanistic perspective. Also, we see in this humanistic perspective that humans are basically just creatures who have natural cravings, and those natural cravings are good. That, you know, that, that, that love is about satisfying those natural cravings. That whether it's a, a craving for food or a craving for sex, craving for drink or laziness or for art or for drugs or for dominance or sensitivity, whatever the craving is, if we have this natural feeling inside of us that we, because we're just creatures, we should try to satisfy that. And on the other side, of course, if anyone were to dare try to keep us from satisfying our cravings, that is hate. That is not love. And then finally, in this regard to humanistic perspective on love, that we see our world sees that human emotions are kind of where we find truth. That feelings determine morality, right and wrong. So that what makes me feel good is loving. So if you don't make me feel good, <laughs> then you're not being loving to me. You're being hateful to me. You're being mean to me because my feelings are hurt. And if my feelings are hurt, well, then that's obviously not love because love always says the things that are, makes me happy, always makes me feel good. And so we see this very humanistic perspective of love. But again, just like truth, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, this perspective of love is ultimately self-defeating. It is not livable. 
Because what about the contradictions in definition? If the individual defines love, well, your definition of love may be to give me a hug. But what if my de definition of love is to punch you in the face? What do we do then? Now we have this contradictory definition of love. So what happens? So we, we kick it up to the majority. So now it's the majority or, or maybe the loudest voices that get to determine what is love and what the rules are of love. And so then, because the majority has spoken, this is what love is, then again, the individuals are now silenced. And so it's not really about the individual making that definition because you can't live that way. And so we have to have this majority that now determines what love is. And that majority may change from day to day, from moment to moment, from year to year, from generation to generation. Also, what about contradictory cravings? <laughs> right? What, what if I have a craving that contradicts your craving? What if a husband feels like he wants to have an open marriage where he can explore other relationships with other women? But his wife's like, no, 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 I, I feel like, you know, my craving is just to have one man in my life and that we would be in a monogamous relationship forever. So, so what do we do then? Now, wait a second, we have different cravings. And so what ends up happening here too often is that the powerful demands satisfaction and the weak get oppressed and abused because the ones with the power get to satisfy their cravings. Well, the rest just have to deal with it. What about, as well in this view of love, what about the contradictory emotions within? Because the reality is, you know, God has given us this, this guilt and this shame kind of trigger in our life. I've talked to so many people who don't believe in Jesus, who aren't following a way of Christ, living a life of sin just blatantly, and if you drill down a little bit and talk to them, they're still feeling guilt and shame over their sin. And so what do we do with this contradiction? My feelings, it's about making me feel good. Yet when I do the thing that, I, that makes me feel good in the moment, later on I'm feeling shame and guilt over that thing. So how do I deal with that? And so then what happens is that the desensitized ones become the mature. We just desensitize that shame and that guilt. Then we're kind of most, we've, been, we've, we've matured, right? We've gone beyond that. And we can recognize what is really true. And those who are still filled with shame and guilt get again pushed, pushed out, rejected. So this is the world's perspective. It's a, it's a weak perspective of love, but it's also a humanistic perspective of love that's so contradictory and not, it's not livable. And yet this is what we are experiencing in our world as they talk about love all the time, push love, 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 everything's gotta be love, we gotta get rid of hate, all these kind of things. But in the beginning, you know the next word? God. In the beginning, God. Genesis 1, 1. It comes back to this. It is not humanity who gets to define what love is. 
It is not our feelings or our cravings or our opinions that define what love is. It is God, the one who created love, is the one who gets to define love. In the beginning, God. Love is not something that's within us naturally. It is something that is outside of us naturally. And it comes from him into us and then out of us. We love simply because he loved us first. But not only did God create, and because God created, he's the one who gets to define it, but God is, we see right away in the book of Genesis, that God is the one who is acting, loving in everything. In Genesis chapter 1, over and over again, we looked at this two weeks ago, one of these verses, and it was good. God says every time he creates something, gets to the end of that day, and he's like, ah, that was good. Gets to the end of the second day, that's good. Third day, that's good. That's fourth day, that's good. Fifth day, that's good. Sixth day, that's very good. Everything is good because we have a God who loves us. He's not an evil God. That's not his nature. That is naturally who he is. He's not a God of hate. He's a God of deep love and goodness, and he created out of that goodness and out of that love. Every single piece, every aspect of this world that he created, he created out of his love, out of his goodness for us. And even when there was something in his creation that wasn't good. (laughs) Chapter 2, verse 18 of Genesis. Then the Lord God said, it is. Is not hasn't said this yet, okay? Good, 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 very good, right? All this kind of stuff. And then here, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. So even in creation, when God recognizes after he's created, wait, there's something that's quite not quite done yet. There's something that's not quite good the way I want it to be yet. And he doesn't just like look at Adam and go, oh, bummer. (laughs) I wish I would remember to create two of you when I first created. Darn it. Oh, well, you know, have fun. (laughs) You know, enjoy that. No, we have a God who recognizes, wait a second. This is not good for man to be alone. And so he fixes the problem. This is God, this is his very nature to be loving. This is how he responds. He's always responding. Everything he does is loving. All of him, all the time, is love. He cannot love, act, he cannot act in an unloving manner. Now, some of you may be saying, oh, what about wrath, God's wrath? What do we do with that? What about next week? Okay, we'll get there next week. Hang on, hang on. God always does good. God is love. 1 John 4, of course, tells us this very clearly. God is love. So not only is God's nature love, but then, like I said, he defines love for us. And so I want to take a little bit of time now, just looking through five different aspects of God's love, right? The, The defining of love. This is what love is. Love is, first of all, universal. 
This means that everyone is to love and be loved. See, love is the, love is the equalizing you know, kind of factor of our world. That it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you're from, socioeconomic, country, whatever. It doesn't matter your nationality. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter. You all are worthy of God's love and all have the capability of passing that love on to others. Everything is meant to be loved. Everyone is meant to be loved. Every human is valuable and worthy of love. And so we as individual Christians who are seeking to worship this God of love need to think about, are we communicating that love appropriately? Are we loving everyone? Even our enemies? You see, the world thinks that we're, gonna, we're only going to attain love if we get rid of our enemies. If we destroy our enemies. But God's word, God's love, true love, tells that no, if we are going to destroy hate, we can only do it by loving them. And that love doesn't destroy, but instead transforms. See, it's love that turns the cold, hard, dark heart. It's love that turns the hateful person causes them to rethink life and go, oh, wait a second. Also, God defines love as being free. It's freely given. It's freely received. We have to be free in order to receive love. It cannot be demanded. We cannot force others to love us. And yet again, our culture is trying to demand it, trying to uh, put, you know, codify it. We cannot legislate others to love because love is free. Once you begin to demand that other people love you, you are no longer being loving to them. Love is meant to be free. It can only be free. The moment it becomes something that's coerced or manipulated or demanded or forced, it is no longer love. God allows even Adam and Eve, we'll get there next week, talking a little bit about sin, right? He allows them to have the choice. We are not robots. We don't have to love God. We get to choose because God didn't want a, a bunch of robots. He wanted a loving relationship and love has to be free. And so he had to give us the freedom to choose whether we're gonna love him in return or not. We also see that love is truthful. Love is always compatible with truth. They're not contradictions. They're not opposites. Truth and love. These are the things we cling to in our world as we seek to care for those around us, as we seek to share the gospel message, as we seek to tell people about Jesus. Truth and love. They go hand in hand. Love is always truthful. It's never deceptive. When you speak the truth, you are speaking love. No matter how mad our world gets, no matter how upset 
they are when they hear the truth, truth spoken. No matter what kind of attacks they, they, they put on us when we speak truth. They cannot change the fact that the true one defines love. Love is also unselfish. It's not about what I want. Love is not about me. Love is always about the object. How best to love them. I'm amazed at how many people in our world and even in the church that I've heard come and they're having conflict with someone else, especially in the marriage relationship. And we sit down to begin to talk about it and everything is about the other person not loving them the way they want to be loved or the way they need to be loved. We must understand that God never demands that they love you. The demand is always that I or we love them. In the marriage relationship, in any relationship, if we want to experience true love, intimate love in that relationship, it takes both parties being focused on loving the other one no matter what they do to them. This is love. Love willingly sacrifices my wants in order to serve you. And finally, Love is unconditional. It's not about what others do. We are always responsible to love them as they are. Whether they respond to us in hate, whether they attack us. You see, love grows by loving those who hate us, not by hating them in return. What the world doesn't recognize is that simply canceling hate speech, oppressive systems, that will never amount to more love in our world. Because it's responding to hate, it's responding to hate with hate. This is the backwards system of God's word. When compared to the world, the world says, oh, we got to get rid of hate with hate. We destroy our enemy before he destroys us. But God says, no, 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 we love. Doesn't matter what they do, we're going to love them. We're going to do things that are good for them, truly good. We want their best. I mean, Matthew 5 you know, is just, you know, this chapter or verse 40 through 48 or so. It, it, this is a crazy thing. You know, Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount, right? You, you've heard it said, you know, hate your enemy. You know, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say love those who persecute you. And he goes on, he says, hey, what, what big deal is it if you love, you know, your people, who, the people who love you? I mean, everybody does that. That's, that's what the world does. That's easy. Love people that love you? Ah, that's no problem. But if you're going to be a follower of Jesus then you got to love those who don't love you. That's a whole different world. (laughs) 
when we come to understand who God is, his nature being love, and then we understand how he's defined love, we recognize that actually love is quite powerful. See, because love overcomes evil. Think about Jesus and what he did on the cross. Right? Again, our world, if, if they were even, even in Jesus' world 2,000 years ago, you know, the, 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 the brightest minds in the church would have told Jesus, no, 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 stand up, call down fire from heaven, and destroy your enemies, and then you will reign. But what did Jesus do? It, it, it blew them away, and it continues to be an amazing reality that when we love people, that love wins. Like that love is, and I, oh man, that's a bad book. Don't read that book. Love, don't read it. It's just bad, okay? Maybe you've read it, but don't read it. Okay, anyway, so uh, it's a universalistic perspective of love. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Love is the one that's going to defeat hate, and Jesus proved that on the cross. He showed that love is more powerful than hate. Look at all the love that is in the world because of Jesus willingly going to the cross and allowing, in a sense, what it looked like hate to win. <laughs> but it didn't. Love did. Love overcomes hate. Love overcomes rejection. Love overcomes sin. Love overcomes death. Love is a powerful weapon in our world. But it's not wielded in a way to destroy. It's wielded in a way to gather, to connect. We can stand up under oppression. We can stand up under tyranny. We can stand up under racism and abuse if we have love. Love endures to the end because it is God-made, not man-made. And church, you know this. Love, again, comes from God. If you're struggling to, to love an enemy in your life, then the answer is not to try to conjure up your own strength. It's not to try to kind of find something inside you to be able to help you to do it more and better. No, it's simply going to Jesus and asking for more love from him. God, help me to experience more of your love. God, help me to be able to pass that love on to others. Second, or First Corinthians, I, I think it's chapter one, talks about, or maybe it's Second Corinthians chapter one, talks about how the comfort that we receive from God, then we can pass on to others. This is the idea of love. Like, if we want to love others more, we need more of his love. We need to experience more of it. We need to enjoy more of it. To live and experience greater love, we need to know and enjoy more of God. So church, thank you for being loving. The ability, your ability to love shows that you know God. 
shows that you've experienced that love personally from him. May we continue all the more each day to continue to dive into that relationship with Jesus and continue to share that love that we receive with everyone we come in contact with. All right, worship team, why don't you come on up. In the midst of the battle that we're in in our culture, where the world is trying to define love for us and trying to force us into their mold, let me encourage us again as a church to not fight hate like they do. Let's not try to silence them. Let's not try to push them out. Let's not try to change them. Let's just try to love them. Love them like Jesus loved them. And then see what happens from there. All right, church, let's stand and we'll sing a song and I'll come up with a closing pass. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for this beautiful morning, Lord, and just so great to be out in your creation. And as we look around, it should be a reminder of your amazing goodness and love because you created all of this, the whole universe for us. The beauty that surrounds us, the trees, the grass, even the breeze that's blowing through, Lord, all of it was created and it was good. And you loved us through it and you continue to love us today. We ask that you would continue to draw us to yourself that we would be able to enjoy more and more each day that love. Lord, we, we want to experience your love. We want to love you in return. We want to be loving to all that we encounter. Help us to do that more and more each day. Lord, continue to expand our circle of love around us, the people that we are reaching out to to share the love that you've given us. Lord, we do not have to worry about ever running out of love. We don't have to worry about not having enough to go around. There's an endless supply in you. And as long as we're plugged into you, that, in, that supply will continue to flow to any and to all who we meet. 1 John chapter 4, 7 and following. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loves us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, God so loved us. We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. And God bless. Love you, church.